Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast, and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jana DeCristofero. After over 30 years of listening to the stories of grieving children, teens, young adults, and adults in our grief support groups, we wanted to share what we've learned from them with the larger community. This podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we will all experience loss during our lives, when it does occur, most of us are left not knowing what to do, how to feel, or how to even talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to explore and talk about what matters to you the most in grief. So today I'm really, really excited. I'm joined by two special guests from all the way on the East Coast of Baltimore. I'm joined by Eleanor and Lisa from whatsyourgrief.com. Hi, you guys. Hey. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I invited Eleanor and Lisa to come join us on the podcast because they have an amazing website. If you haven't checked it out, please go do that. Maybe not right now while you're listening, but right afterwards. Uh, you're going to go to whatsyourgrief.com, right? Dot com, not dot org? Yeah, dot com. Okay. And Eleanor and Lisa are two of the most prolific writers and podcasters in the realm of grief that I have ever encountered. So thank you to both of you for all that you've contributed. Wow, yeah, thank you for that description. Exactly, what a compliment, thanks. I think a a day doesn't go by when I'm referring somebody to your website uh, for specific articles. So for those of you listening, if you have any question about anything having to do with grief, I bet that they have a blog post about it. So check them out. Uh, And today uh, we wanted to... talk specifically about, so most of you who know us, Dear Dougie and Dougie Center, we focus a lot on grieving kids and kids who've had parents or caregivers or siblings die. And we wanted to talk today specifically about, say you're a young adult moving into adulthood and you're thinking about becoming a parent, but you've had a parent or a sibling die. So that's really what we're going to look at and talk about today. So Eleanor, Lisa, do you want to share a little bit about yourselves and maybe your stories with grief or the work that you do around that? Um, yeah, sure. I'm, um, my, this is Eleanor. Um, I am somebody whose background is in mental health. It's in counseling. Um, and I worked for a while um, with families experiencing a sudden death on the um, ICU typically. Um, and I had also experienced the death of my mother when I was in my early 20s. Um, so just based on my work with other people and my own feelings about grief, um, I noticed, uh, well, once Lisa and I got together <laughs> um, and started talking about, you know, the type of grief support out there, um, I would say we both noticed that there was a major kind of gap in what we would like to see and what existed. And so we kind of just set out and took our um, experience and our, our education and training and tried to put it to some good use. And so hopefully we have to some degree. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Uh, and, and Lisa, how about you? Sure. Um, So my background is as a clinical social worker, and I, um, for me, the significant loss I had was losing my dad when I was uh, 18. It was just after my freshman year in college. And 
it really was certainly impacted me in a lot of ways. Though I'm, I don't think I necessarily thought I would build a huge grief <laughs> website or kind of get into the things that we've done at the time. But later, as I went into um, the world of social work and the work I was doing, I was really drawn to working with people who were also grieving. And as Eleanor described, we just uh, both had, I think, unique experiences as younger grievers, um, because some of the things that were out there just didn't quite fit with where we were in our lives when we were dealing with loss. Um, So that was one thing I think we noted about the internet. And um, just in general, I think we felt like people weren't quite appreciating yet the degree to which people go to Google now when just about anything happens in life. And so we thought there really could be a lot more out here. We believe that there's people kind of struggling with grief and they haven't yet taken that step to maybe go to a support group or find a counselor or even sometimes talk to friends or family, but that maybe they would take to Google and that we could put some information out there that would be helpful. Yeah, it does seem to be the first thing people turn to no matter what is going on. Right. Self-diagnosis, (laughs) self-soothing. Thank you, Google. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's kind of what brought us um, to to create the the site and where we are now. And so the question I've always wanted to ask both of you, um, which I didn't get a chance to do when we had a chance to almost meet each other for the National Alliance for Grieving Children (laughs) Symposium in June, was do you ever sleep? Because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the amount of, I mean, Eleanor, I know you're a mom, and Lisa, you've got your life, and then you're writing, 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 writing. So just curious if you ever sleep. <laughs> Probably not as much as we should. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, we really, I think, love writing. I actually just had this conversation with my mom because she made a similar comment recently. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I said is once I think we started doing this work, when you look in the world around you, it's just unbelievable how you see things everywhere that right. inspire us wanting to write more. So it might be something that a griever who I'm working with in real life says mm-hmm. to me that inspires me when I want to write a post. We run some groups and sometimes things people say in the groups market. Sometimes it's something I hear on TV or the radio. And once that seed is in my brain, it's hard to not want to write about it. <laughs> so I think that's one of the things that keeps us going. Well, and you know, I think the other thing too is that it's been, I, I didn't, this wasn't my intent when I started out, but it's been very helpful for me in processing my own grief and my own experiences now um, with the topic we're going to talk about is just parenting, you know, uh, two daughters without a mom. And I, I think that it's been really helpful. And we always tell people to write things down into journal and things like that. And most of them will not go start a, a great blog as a result of that. But um, for us, I, I think it's been, it's been therapeutic and it's been helpful and it's been a great experience. So worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to speak, it speaks to, to me of how like fully immersive the grief experience is. You know, yeah. we take our grief with us into every experience that we have in our lives, and there's going to be some element that can connect back to our story of loss. So so thank you for taking those inspirations and putting them out to the world um, to help other people. It makes a huge difference. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about that in that almost any book you read, any movie you watch, uh, posters out in the world are so much about parenting, being a parent having your first child and I'm curious for the people you've spoken with and the people you've worked with what are some of the biggest things that come up for them when they're entering into the idea of you know maybe I'm going to have a child and what does that mean now that my mom or my dad or my even my sibling has died gosh I, I 
I mean, I think it could be so different for each individual person, like what, what that looks like. I think, I, I guess with this topic, it's hard for me not to speak from experience because when my mom was sick with terminal cancer, I was, I fast tracked myself to getting pregnant, you know, thinking, oh, well, she'll know or she'll be around. You know, I still had that hope that she would be around. And so for me, it was like, I, I'd have to get pregnant immediately. Like this means something. And in many ways, it has meant something for helping me to stay and stay connected to my mom. Um, but for me, that that was that, it. Kind of fast tracked my decision. But I'm sure for many people, it's like, you know, I never imagined having a baby without my parent around. You know, and and how am I I'm going to do this? This is not how the picture was supposed to look. And you know, how do I keep my loved one's memory alive? And you know, keep my loved one connected to my children. I, it's just such a big topic, you know? So I, I think it's individual for everybody. I think what's interesting is like, I don't know that people really think about how, how big of an impact it will have on them until it actually happens. The the grief piece or the, the becoming a parent piece? The significance of becoming a parent without your parent. I, I just don't think that people really realize how interconnected those two things are. Um, so, some people probably do, but I think a lot of people are probably very surprised to find that it, it, it does have such a big impact on you. And with your experience, it recalibrated your timeline. You were like, I'm going to get pregnant as soon as possible because I know my mom is ill and may not be here. Yeah, yeah. There was probably a lot of things going on <laughs> there, but it definitely definitively did. And, you know, somewhere in my denial, my world of denial, I thought she'd be around, you know, for it. Um, but in the end, the last, real conversation I had with her was to tell her that I was pregnant. And that means a lot to me to know that she knew that it was important to her to know that her children were at least on the path to whatever happiness they wanted in life. Um, and for two of my siblings, they were too young for that. And I, I think that it, it matters, it, you know, it matters to me at least. So to have that conversation yeah. so she could know that you guys were continuing to engage in life in that way. Yeah, but in the same vein, we talk a lot on our site about how making big decisions when you're grieving is sometimes a bad idea. <laughs> in the same vein, like when I, and I've written about this on the blog with my husband, like I, I kind of pushed him a lot sooner than he would have wanted to. And I don't know if logically it was the best decision. So, you know, for everybody, the circumstance is going to be different. It just so happened to work out for me. And I mean, obviously I love my child, so how could it be wrong? But Right. But re like being able to step back a little and separate out what's right. emotional impulse and what makes logical sense. Yeah. And sometimes That's with grief, the logical sense just goes out the window. Right. <laughs> yep. And I know for me, I've, I've heard people who maybe they weren't a young adult when their parent died, but they were children when their parent died. And that's really affected their thoughts about becoming parents. I've heard many people say, you know, I'm so fearful. I don't want what happened to me to happen to my child. Uh, so I'm curious if you've talked with people who have maybe decided not to be parents, who have held off on being parents or feel really conflicted about it because of their experience as a grieving child. I've, I've definitely had that conversation um, with people. I think that is a very real concern that comes up for some people who have lost a parent as a child because they know what that impact is on, you know, on a child and on their lives. Uh, and I think part of that conversation for me has always looked like acknowledging that that's a normal thing to be mm -hmm. sorting through. Like we would expect that a child who lost a parent and then is considering parenting once they're an adult would be thinking about all of those different things and those implications. Um, 
And, you know, I think on the other side, we've seen many, many people who lost parents as children and, of course, have found really wonderful and amazing ways to cope with that and to parent through that and almost incorporate that into their into their parenting philosophy um, that can be really meaningful. And, you know, I, I think I can kind of see that anxiety playing out as well for people who've lost like a sibling um, or who have even lost a, a child um, at any point is that that thought like things could go very wrong and like that pain is just too much. So it's such a risk um, to put myself through in case, you know, my child might become ill or sick. So I, I just think with death in general, if, if you've seen if you've seen it, you know how fragile it all is. And so it it's hard to feel secure in, in the in the wonderfulness of, of having a child because you know things could go wrong, you know. So. And it seems like too sometimes being able to open up to the possibility of yes, because we know something could happen, because I've seen, you know, my sister die when she was six or my mom died when she was thirty-two. Because I know that can happen, I've also heard people say, I cherish everything even more and I'm more intentional in my life and my choices because of that. And so I, you know, I, I want to become a parent because I want to pass on the legacy of my mom and what a great mom she was and what I learned from her to, to pass that on to another being. Yeah, absolutely. I really do think that that's how people's parenting philosophies can be inspired in a really powerful way by their grief and by their recognition that, you know, it is all very fragile. You know, one question I, I'm wondering about, because someone had asked me of doing another podcast topic, which maybe one day you guys will join me again to talk about, you know, what <laughs> what's grief like when you had a complicated relationship with the person who died? And I, I'm just wondering, and maybe this might not be something you've come across, but I've heard quite a few people who hit young adulthood, they're already starting to maybe have some repair in the relationship with a parent if maybe there was some discord during their adolescence. And then the process of becoming a parent seems to open up a lot of avenues of connection of understanding of how their parent was. And I'm curious if you've talked to people who have found ways to continue to have that, even if the parent has died. I'm, I, I've never talked to, have you talked to anybody like that? I was just trying to think yeah. about that. I, in reflecting on it, I, I think it makes total sense. I, I think going into parenting, you know, some people go in and say, well, I'm not going to make the same mistakes as my parent. Or some people go in and say, I have no freaking clue how to be a good parent because I didn't have a good model. And then, you know, this happened, um, and then I lost my parent. Um, and I do think that in growing up, you know, and, and, and being, I say growing up as though I'm not like, I've just done that, but I'm, like, <laughs> I'm 34. Continuing um, to mature and evolve. Yeah. In, in becoming a, a parent, it, it's interesting because I, I think sometimes you grant your parent a little bit of grace, um, because you understand how hard it is. You're like, now I finally get why my mom right. did this or why my dad was like this. And I, I think in two ways, like I personally could see how that would impact your grief. And I have um, just one that you wish you could say, like, I get it now. And I, I'm sorry, I was such trouble and I, I appreciate you. Um, and so if you have the opportunity to say that you to your parent, go say it because you'll wish that you had. Um, and the, the other way is something that I've totally forgotten. <laughs> It is actually really good, and I will tell you if I can remember what it is. Well, I think, um, you know, in thinking about that, I do think that there are ways that if you're tuned into this as you become a parent, if you know that maybe 
your relationship with your parent for whatever reason was a little bit strained. I think being aware of how these revelations might come up and, you know, as a parent, you're so busy and you're so overwhelmed with parenting sometimes, but thinking about the the positive things for you and the things related to your own grief where this might be helpful. This is something to me that like it jumps out as this would be something very helpful to be consciously aware of. And if you're a journaler to journal about or to write about, to really look at what have these distinctive moments been in my own parenting that have caused me to look back at this relationship with my parent in a different way. And yes, I can't have a conversation with my parent about that, but what can I do in a meaningful way that allows me to acknowledge that, um, in ways that may be helpful for me and my own grief. That's actually, now I remember. (laughs) Um, It's what what Lisa's saying is kind of about having that conversation is like, sometimes you wish you could go have that conversation now that you have the frame of mind that you do at the age you're at. There's a great article that I'll forward you to, Jana, to put on the notes page about the guy, the person writing it says to write letters to your family from the age that you're at so that when they get older at that age, they might be able to like reflect on it. It's an interesting, I'm not explaining it well, but it's interesting because I do think when you get to be a little bit older, you kind of get it and you wish you could have a conversation. Maybe maybe it's not even that you can forgive your parent or, you know, excuse a behavior, but it's just to be able to say like, you know, what was going on with you or, or how, you know, like explain to me now that I have this framework, um, what it was like for you or like, I kind of get it, but here's my question to you. And it, it's, it sucks because you can't go back and, say like what what was it like for you or you know I have heard some people who um because there is that inability to talk directly to the person you can come up with kind of your idea of what they might say back to you uh but some people have said they've actually gone and contacted friends of their parents um other relatives who maybe knew had conversations with them or had a close connection with them while the person was a baby to be like, this is what your mom was thinking about when she became a mom. This is what your dad was thinking about when you became an adolescent because he had to come and talk with me because you gave him such a hard time or whatever it is. So that thinking about who else might have some insight. I think that it can be a very interesting thing to do. I always said I wanted to do it and I never did. And then this mother's day, my mom had an identical twin And I reached out to her, not just about parenting, but just about her in general um, and asked her, you know, a couple of questions. And the stuff that she told me was some of it I knew, but some of it was just so new to me. And it actually helped me put a whole new perspective on just the stuff that led up to my mother's death and how we all handled it and approached it. And it was extremely helpful for me to do. Sometimes I think it can take some courage to do. And sometimes it may just be a matter of having a conversation, but I think it's it's an interesting exercise for people who are grieving and want to know more about their, their loved one. Right, to put the puzzle a little bit more together for them. So I know that we are getting a little close on time, and I want to make sure we um, talk a bit about you know, the, the self-care, which is always hard, I think, sometimes for people to imagine what that looks like. And I'm thinking particularly as a parent of a young child, baby, uh, might be totally off the radar. So you guys have any suggestions for young adults and adults who are newly parenting or who are pregnant and how they can best take care of themselves? Well, one thing that comes to mind, and I'm not a parent for the record, um, but one thing I think, and this, I, I think, doesn't just apply to new parents or parents, but to everyone, and especially for parents and new parents, is sometimes that we just need to make those conscious efforts 
to set the time that we are going to really take care of our, whether it's our grief, whether it's just ourselves, all of those things, but really setting time for that to happen. Because I think one of the things that happens to so many of us is life is so busy. When we become a parent, life becomes exponentially busier and our priorities shift. So we suddenly are, have this being who we are always going to put in front of ourselves and our own needs and having that recognition that setting time aside and taking care of ourselves actually allows us to better provide for that child and to better meet their needs. If we've met our own self-care needs, I think is, is really important, but can be very difficult to execute. Yeah. So just having that perspective of, I want to be the best parent I can be. And the way to take care of my child is to take care of myself. Exactly. Exactly. And being able to have not, you know, not just know that philosophy in a rational way, but being able to put that into practice. And so I think some of that is if you have a partner who you're parenting with, communicating with your partner and really making a plan for how you will support each other in having that time that you need for certain things uh, around self-care. And if you don't have a partner who you're parenting with, thinking about who else in your life might you be able to reach out to, to provide some of that support, logistical support, even childcare, you know, things that you may need in order to take that time that you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. And particularly on specific days too, thinking ahead of like, my mom's birthday is coming up or my, the anniversary of my dad's death is coming up and like a time to plan ahead and say, I'm going to need a little help on this day. And I would kind of, I'm, it's sort of transitioning to a different kind of way of thinking, but using those days and just using, you know, allowing yourself to make your child a part of your relationship with your parent and their grandparent. Um, and maybe even using those days to recognize your parent um, and, and have them be a part of that. Um, not just taking your own space, but also finding ways to keep your loved one's memory alive in your whole family, even though maybe even your co-parent or the child may have never met that person. I think a lot of people might be afraid to talk a lot about their deceased relatives, Um a lot because they're worried about having that conversation about how people die. And that is a scary conversation for many people. And I I know that a lot of parents want to shelter their kids from knowing that people can die and knowing the realities. Um, And gosh, I don't even, I don't know if there's research on whether or not, you know, it is good for anybody or bad for anybody to have these conversations with kids. But from the very beginning, I anecdotally have spoken to my children about my mother and I, personally feel like it's been great um, to have my mom be a part of their life in whatever way she can be. And for my kids to know how much I love my mother, despite the fact that she's not here. Um, I know other people might not be comfortable doing that, but if you're somebody who wants to and has a slight reservation, I would say go for it. Are there specific things, Eleanor, that you've done to help your kids connect with your mom and who she was? I mean, to be honest, like I haven't made a big deal of it because I, you know, she's like, she's just always with me. And that's just the fact of the matter. Like her pictures are on the piano. I tell them when I'm sad about it. You know, I don't go, I don't make an unnecessary big deal about it, but it comes up or I'll I'll talk to them about it when something reminds me of my mom. And 
Um, you, my kids ask me about her. My daughter, who's five, does ask a lot about cancer and things like that. And I just provide age-appropriate explanations and we move on. You know, the prevailing belief is that, you know, I loved my mom very much and that, you know, she would have loved them if she were here. So for me, it's been kind of small things. It hasn't been big things. But for other people, it may be the need to do bigger things. Mm-hmm. And for you, it's just been that day-to-day carrying her with you and making her a part of your lives together, the memory of her. There's a great book called um, The Disappearance, and it's uh, written by a woman who lost two of her daughters and um, then later had two more daughters. Um, But so they never met their siblings because the daughters had died previously. And she discusses that topic a lot. And it's very interesting because she talks about how just in a day-to-day way, um, her older daughters who died were very much a part of the conversations of who their family is. Mm -hmm. And though they're not here, they're still part of family. And somewhere in the book, she references that if she doesn't mention her older daughters, when someone asks how many kids she has or something like that, that her younger daughters actually speak up and, and say something about it um, because she sort of made them so much a part of the family. Um, so it's an interesting discussion, not just with, with grandparents or parents, or, but even with siblings. It may be a situation where, you know, you've had a child afterwards and they can still have that connection to their, to their sibling. I think sometimes there's fear and anxiety around that. And is that you know, is that an okay thing to do? Um, and I think we've heard from a lot of other grievers that this has been a really meaningful connection that their families have had. Right, and how freeing for some people to be able to speak openly about what they're carrying around on their minds and in their hearts all the time anyways, and can sometimes create a, a feeling of distance from your children or from your other family members, and to be able to speak openly and say, here, I'm thinking about mom today, and find someone else in the crowd who says, oh, me too can be hugely uh, reassuring for people. Right. And just, just, you know, having an, having an open dialogue with your kids, I I know it can be scary because you have to come up with some pretty hard answers sometimes. It just, I I don't know how it can go wrong, you know, like to be able to have, you know, honest conversation about life. I mean, it's a good thing to practice early and keep going for as long as possible. So you know, it's to each his own. And and some people may not be ready to have those conversations because it's still so raw and emotional and hard. Um, But if you're somebody who's on the fence, I would say go for it. That's kind of the prevailing (laughs) advice. Eleanor (laughs) says, do it. Uh, And it reminded me that I think in the show notes, I'll link to, I know we have an article and you may also have one too, if you haven't, I'll link it to yours of just some ways, some specific ways to talk to kids about the fact that somebody's died because I think that can be the scariest part for people is yeah. what are the words that yeah. I use so we'll put those in the show notes for sure um so Eleanor Lisa any any last things you want to say as we come to the end of today's episode um I don't know I don't know I think this is just it's a good it's a good topic and for anybody who's having you know who's going through this situation you know there are a lot of other people also in the situation you're certainly not alone um, and both the Dougie Center and What's Your Grief have a lot of great information about this stuff. So, um, you know, we're here for you and check us out because we have a lot of different topics. We cover this topic in a lot. Of, I would say we especially cover this topic in a lot of dis- different ways because I tend to <laughs> do most of the <laughs> over the subject. Um, so, you know, check it out because 
you're not alone. And, you know, this is a great way to continue thinking about continuing your bond with your loved one. Um, and yeah, that's all I have. Anything lights up? <laughs> no, I, I do think just having the conversation, so many things in grief, this is, um, when I, when you suggested this as a topic, I thought it was a really great suggestion almost because it's a very niche and specific topic. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we just don't talk about the fact that, that there's a lot of people having these experiences. So you can reach out, of course, to the different support Eleanor mentioned, but also think about other people in your life who you may know who have yeah. gone through this, who have become parents after losing parents. And if you're going through this, um, again, doing taking that step, which can require a little bit of courage sometimes to do, but to open up the conversation with them if it feels appropriate and ask them, what was it like for them? And, you know, let them know if you're having anxieties, um, because many times we sort of suffer silently when we have other people in our support system that we could reach out to. So thinking about those. Yeah, people. I mean, not to, get, not to keep going, but I do think that this is a time of life where people just go like full speed ahead, you know, like I'm having a baby. Yay, we're going to do, you know, all this stuff. I have to get ready and there's so much going on so just really utilize your resources and, and recognize that sometimes might be hard so you don't get totally caught off guard and if you have siblings who've been through it or friends who can give you advice and help you through lean on your resources so That's such a great reminder that it's okay to not know what you're doing it seems oh, like there's a lot of pressure once you're a parent <laughs> you have to have all the answers um, right. so and I just really appreciate both of you do so much advocacy for people to find support in informal ways. Uh, you know, if there are support groups, we have a support group, many other organizations around the country have support groups and people find those to be really helpful. But advocating for yourself as a griever to say, who's in my support network? Who do I need? Who can I bring in? So thank you for all the work that you do with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Eleanor, Lisa, thank you again for joining us. Uh, for those of you who are listening, there'll be links to the What's Your Grief uh, website and their podcasts and some of the articles in the book that we mentioned today. And um, so thanks again for to both of you. You're welcome. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you so much for having us. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening. To learn more about the Dougie Center and to listen to past episodes of Dear Dougie, you can check us out at www d-o-u-g-y dot o-r-g and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter we'd love to be talking about what matters the most to you so if you have any suggestions or ideas or questions you can send them our way at help at dougie.org and just throw podcasts somewhere there in the subject line so we can find you so join us again next time for another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast thanks for listening